I am here with the Ecclesial Movement Hearts Home with Natalie Fasano and Brittany Kepke. Kepke, sorry. <laughs> Natalie, let's start with you. Uh, describe the, the Ecclesial Movement Hearts Home for us. Right, so Hearts Home is a um, missionary community. We send young people to live in big cities but in poor neighborhoods. And these young people commit for a year or two. Um, and our houses are in the slums, so we want to go and live and be present with the people and uh, be one more family that lives and, uh, among them. And we have each house is composed of five or six young people coming from different nationalities, different countries. And we have Jesus, that's the most important member of the family, of the family in the house. Uh, we have Jesus at the chapel. Um, and so we have a very strong prayer life. We do morning, evening, and night prayer, one holy hour, uh, one, and daily mass and daily rosary, because we want to be Jesus' presence. And the and only a way. Holy hour, yes. Mm -hmm. So that's why we, in each house we have the permission of the bishop to have the sacrament. Mm -hmm. And so our life revolves, or the stepping stones to go about our life <laughs> is prayer. Otherwise, we will only bring ourselves, and that's not what our, the people need. Right. Uh, our friends need. Jesus. And so we spend a lot of time praying. And then community life is the second pillar. Um, and uh, so we, we want to first like be able to love and be loved within the community so that this testimony is bigger, that it's not right. just me, but all of us that are here loving you. And then what our ministry is based on is um, on a gratuitous friendship, mm. on being present, not so much doing, we do a lot of things, believe me, <laughs> from morning to evening to help the people we serve. But it's, the most important thing is like the relationship, the encounter with the other that we hope will bring them to Christ. Mm -hmm. And our charism, that, that what gives flavor or color to our ministry, is that of being Mary at the foot of the cross. John 19, 25, near mm -hmm. the cross stood Mary. So we want to go and dwell in the heart of Mary at the Golgotha, so as from there to bring her compassion, her consolation, and her mercy to the people that are entrusted to us. Oh, and you are currently serving where? In Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn. Yes. What part of Brooklyn? Uh, Fort Greene. Fort Greene. And that's a poor area? Yes. So we, the, the, the diocese lends us a rectory next to an empty church mm. uh, that is surrounded by housing projects. So most of our ministry happens in the housing projects in the nearby shelters and, and nursing homes. But also more and more we realize that the cry of our city is not the poverty and the cry is loneliness right. and the lack of having lots of contacts but not real friends, no real encounters. So little by little we started expanding an apostolate and we go visit people in the Bronx, we visit people in Manhattan, we visit people in, uh, in Queens because we realize that there are many people that have no one. People who have been in New York for 15 years and all of a sudden they have a breakdown and there's nobody to go to. So the Lord has led us through different countries to, to be present, not only to the people around us. And how many are in the house? What's the name of the house in Brooklyn? Each heart's home has a patron saint. Mm -hmm. So our heart's home is uh, St. John Paul II, oh. a big one. Yes. And it could have also been uh, Mother, go big or Mother go home. Teresa. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, it could it could as well been uh, Mother Teresa uh, because she was the one who inspired us. Um, her home uh, has been uh, has existed since uh, 1990, uh, and in the year 2000s we heard we heard her say that uh, New York was the city that needed compassion the most. 
So it hit home because we said, if we want to be this presence of compassion, patere, compatere, suffer, suffering with people, and Mother Teresa says that New York needs it, we should go did, and check it out. Did she say that on a trip to the United States? Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she singled out New York. Yes. Yes. So how and many are living? So there's seven of us. Her's um, home started as a volunteer program. So the first missionaries were French, and the first two houses opened in 1990 in Argentina and Brazil. Mm. And then um, little by little, some young people coming back, they say, oh, I feel a call to stay. I want to leave this spirituality, and I feel a call to consecration. We have had many young people feeling that, uh, that calling, but to be a diocesan priest or to join some other communities. But some of them came back and say, I want to stay here in this right. spirituality of being married at the foot of the cross. And so there's a, um, a congregation of sisters that it was born. Okay. Community is still small. It's 30-something around yeah. the world. And they are called the servants of God's presence, which goes with our charism of being that presence mm -hmm. of Mary. Uh, then a fraternity of priests that is called the Fraternity of Molokai, under mm -hmm. the patronage of Damon of Molokai, because when Damien arrived in the island of Molokai to take care of the lepers, right from the beginning he said, we lepers. And mm -hmm. so we want to, uh, especially our priests, but all of us, we want to identify so much with our people so that it's not you and us, but only us. We are all together. In Brooklyn, do you have one of your priests? We there? have one of our priests. We have, um, so we have one house in Brooklyn and, and one retreat facility upstate New York uh, where we organize retreats and try to bring people for silent prayers where we have the training of the American young people going abroad. And so there are two priests among the two communities. There are three religious sisters, three lay consecrated. And right now we have two young um, volunteers from Poland who are here uh, with us for a year. So every year we have two or three uh, volunteers that are here for a year. So, do you call it uh, like the lay part of it? Do you call it lay or is it yes. consecrated? So we have lay missionaries that uh -huh. uh, that are people from all over the world that just want to have this very, uh, very deep experience of uh, radically living among the poor, living out of their comfort zone and having a very strong prayer life. And that would be like the volunteer? The volunteers. Okay. So they are lay missionaries. Uh, so they go live this experience, then come back. Some of them feel the call to consecration in any in and you're many a member places, of the consecrated. and I am a okay. member of that. Some others just go home and get married and have children yeah. and are yeah. wonderful mothers and fathers. Because it seems like a very kind of a feminine charism, right? To it be is. married, <laughs> but is there men that are consecrated? Or? We yes, there are there are lay consecrated men, but they are much fewer. <laughs> yes, <laughs> her home is the heart of a mother, and so uh, and so it's true yeah, that it attracts yeah. naturally many more women right. than men. But we do have many many Johns at yeah. the foot of the cross. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so let's talk uh, to Brittany here. You're from Knoxville, and you were a, a volunteer for a few years? Or? Well, actually, I've been back uh, for a year, but I was in Ecuador for 14 months mm -hmm. with the mission in Hearts Home there living. So as a volunteer then? Yeah, her. as a lay volunteer. Yeah. And we take the same uh, commitments for the mm -hmm. time of mission that right. the consecrated members take of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Right. So when we have our sending forth mass, we take those for the duration of our mission kind of promises for that time. Okay. And tell us about your experience in Ecuador. Tell us about Ecuador generally and then your experience. Oh, oh. <laughs> How to sum it up? Um, Ecuador is a beautiful, beautiful country. It has everything, all the different types of landscapes possible, but in one small country in South America. So they have volcanoes, they have the Galapagos Islands, um, they have the Andes Mountains, they have the jungle. I mean, it's, it's just fantastic. 
<clears throat> I actually was living on a little man-made island off the coast of Guayaquil. Guayaquil is the largest city in Ecuador of 4 million people. And our island was, uh, again, man-made and people inhabited about 25 years ago. And there was about um, 25,000 that lived on that little island. And so it was kind of equivalent to um, like a project housing project here in the states if you will because right. it was a um it was like landfill or they or? cleaned out the river water because it's right next to a port okay. a main port so with all the sand that they scooped up from the bottom right. of the river they just okay. stacked it on top of each other and it made an island okay. mm -hmm. so how far off the coast is it oh it's just a bridge, a bridge. it's okay. it's called la isla trinitaria yeah. Now, did Pope Francis go down to Ecuador recently? He did, but you yeah. Were, were you there? I had just left like oh, two months okay. before he got there, yeah. yeah. But um, I saw lots of pictures from my community members and friends down there. So you, on this island, it was a very poor area. It was, yeah. yeah. It was a, kind of had a reputation for being one of the poorest in, um, in Guayaquil. Yeah. And... Uh, the, the people suffer in a, a lot of different ways, not just poverty, but also there was a lot of uh, drug and violence, and um, the kids get lost to the street. And so one of my favorite parts of the mission was actually every day at 3 o'clock, we opened our doors literally so that whoever uh, wanted could come in, um, but we were specifically opening our door to the children who would just wander the streets. And so some kids starting at the age of, you know, one and a half, two years old, are just left to the streets all day, and they might have their cousins or big brothers and sisters, um, but they just kind of wander around. So when we opened our doors at 3 o'clock, here they all come, and we sit down with them, and we would pray the rosary, and then after that, we had uh, a few hours where we would just play with them. Sometimes it would be jumping rope or coloring, um, but the point was to love them and also to offer them a home where they could come in and feel like... Uh, you know, this is a safe place for them, a safe place from the street. And we also, again, have a chapel in each home, so we were able to take them in there and, and pray pray with them, teach them how to pray, and do kind of those things that um, a mother or father often does with their kids. Sometimes they'd bring their homework, and we do that with them. Um, but we were being, you know, a spiritual <laughs> kind right. of mother or father to would them in that have, way. Would they be living on the streets? Would they have parents to go home to? <clears throat> they did have most, all of the kids had a, a home to sleep in at night. Mm -hmm. um, but just during the day, you know, maybe dad works mm -hmm. and maybe mom does too. Or if she's a single mom, you know, they mm -hmm. just kind of didn't have always an adult supervision during the day. Um, or some of... Yeah, or some of them might be playing cards <laughs> during the day, and so they were uh, occupied with their friends. And so just for various realities, yeah. that was just kind of the norm for a lot of the kids. Uh, you grew up in Tennessee, and what, what was kind of eye-opening to you about seeing the poverty like that, mm. that, that you didn't? Maybe even like the, I don't know if you say mm. defamation of people or... Yeah, you know, that made you appreciate your background maybe more hmm. or something. Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think in the end, you know, like seeing the human dignity of every person, you know, even though I'm from Tennessee and maybe we don't have the same struggles, um, every human suffers <laughs> from right. something. And then also we have the desire for God, for friendship, for love. And so... 
for me, entering into the reality in Ecuador was an eye-opening experience to just uh, see a, a, a bigger picture of um, just like God's love poured out on the human race. Mm-hmm. And uh, because the, the people there also, that there's a beauty that a lot of people don't see. Um, and living there, I got to see it. I got to know the names and the faces of the beauty that was the Isla Trinitaria instead of just hearing about the crime that all the newspapers put out is, you know, the deaths that happened there and the, the drug busts or whatever. Mm-hmm. But we got to know these people with beautiful hearts, generous hearts, where even though they were poor, if you came to their home, they gave you the best of what they had. And if they only had Sprite to offer, they'd fill it to the rim. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that that for me was really eye-opening, just like the greatness of God and how he's able to be encountered no matter the suffering and right. to not shy away from it, but rather press into it because he himself, Christ, suffered. Um, I know one thing, it, people, we hear, and we've seen it, we struggle with ourselves in the West, too. It's like, you know, we're so busy. We have our smartphones. We It's hard for us to give people attention, and we're kind of caught up in our own world. And mm-hmm. some like poverty strips all that away, so then maybe you have kind of a closer human Oh, definitely. The streets were so alive. And (laughs) that's one thing I really miss being back home is a lot of people don't even know their neighbors, you know. And in Ecuador, you go out on the street and, you know, one neighbor's out sweeping her front porch and um, you walk to the grocery store just one block away to get your your uh, parsley for the day and another block away is your meat and and the community knows each other they know each other's names they they also know each other's problems and right. um but there's Pigeon Forge doesn't supply that for you. <laughs> yeah so there's just a life to the street that we just don't really have here because people are out and about in yeah. it and yeah. uh, it's kind of designed like that too the streets where here everything's very well at least where I live everything's very spread apart yeah. where you, you need a car and you have to travel you know 15 minutes to get to the nearest grocery store right. and so it's just a different um, reality but uh, I think a lot of people in America struggle most from loneliness, maybe not so much material poverty always the case, but there's a lot of lonely people, people who don't get that human interaction. Yeah. Um, and now, so you did your 14 months, mm-hmm. and now you're, what are you doing now? So I came back from mission, and um, very quickly after, uh, had the blessing of starting to work for the Diocese of Knoxville, and I work as the Hispanic Youth and Young Adult Ministry Coordinator. So, um, and if I hadn't gone on mission, that job really wouldn't have been available to me because, um, you know, speaking Spanish now and also understanding a lot more about the culture, uh, I was able to kind of be in this position where it's a bridge between the Hispanic community and um, the larger Anglo community, if you will. And so, um, it's just a real privilege that I that I get to work there, and we have a lot of wonderful things going on in our diocese. So I've been working there ever since I got back. Okay. How long ago was that? Just a year. A year ago. So you're at the Chancery, and mm-hmm. okay. yeah. let me ask you too again about the uh, the spirituality. About uh, how do you describe that? Spirit? Mary at the foot of the cross. Exactly. Yes. And I'm fascinated with that passage from Scripture about mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh, Jesus entrusting her to be our mother and John. Yes your son. Tell us about that, what mm-hmm. that means to you. Yes, um, in the first place it means that like Mary, many times um, since our ministry is one of presence, many times we experience the poverty of 
apparent usefulness because it's true that uh, our whole day is trying to serve our friends and we are a kind of bridge between the, the local associations that can provide for needs because we, cannot, we, we don't give anything away uh, because we want people to know I'm coming here for you. Right. Just for your person, there's um, uh, just unconditional friendship. Uh, so we spend a lot of time uh, doing little services or, or big services for them, uh, but mostly it's like being a shoulder, being this refuge of tenderness and, and love for them. And many times we don't have a solution. A mom who just lost a, a, a child just cannot give him back. Mm. And so we can only say, well, your cross is my cross, I'm going to cry with you, I'm going to be there with you and so that you're suffering, you're not suffering alone. Um, but we do experience that poverty of apparently feeling use, uh, useless. Um, and so like Mary, she could not do anything apparently to save her son, but her presence there, uh, being so close to him that she didn't lose any of his words, any of his cries and anything uh, that he was saying. In the same way, we want to be totally attentive to all of our friends' needs. Um, and because of that, to bring the consolation of a presence. Because of that, it's like, okay. Uh, our, our faces change, like Britain is no longer in Ecuador, but there are other faces there. The Lord is loving them through other faces, and those new missionaries are that continuous presence uh, of God for her. And then it means that there's a hospitality of heart that we want to be totally available to reality the way, the way it is. Mm -hmm. um, I often, often hear uh, volunteers when they come back and say, welcome to Hearst Home, the schedule changes all the time. <laughs> and it's true because we don't have a project. We don't have a project in people. We just have ourselves to give. And the reality is bigger than us. And the Lord leads us through encounter to encounter to the people who need us. And so we ask the Holy Spirit every morning to lead us to those who need us the, the most today. Right. Um, and so, yeah, wherever we go, no matter where, in which country, if it is Ecuador, Brazil, or Argentina, uh, our place is the Golgotha. And, and we've, I, I sometimes feel like we are fishers of suffering. <laughs> but at the same time, like Mary, we want to stand in hope. So it's from her and from the adoration of the Holy, of the holy Host that we draw the strength to, like a friend of ours just described us, uh, a friend in the Ukraine just said, uh, the more I get to know your vo the volunteers, is the more I realize that you bear the cross in the heart and the resurrection in, in the face, mm. on your faces. And I'm like, yes, that's mm. exactly it. So that we want to hope not to be crushed by their sufferings, even when sometimes we do cry with them. And we mm -hmm. do, the, the more we love people, the more, of course, the, their pain is ours. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just the pain of, just the question you were asking, Brittany, um, like, what it is to be among the poor. And for me, many times, it's this pain of like saying, Lord, why him? Why her and not me? I mean, why is he abused and not me? Why, why does he not know what a structured family is? Why does he not have whatever to eat? Why is he sick? Why is he dying and not me? And so this, this real suffering, but always in hope. Like Mary, like, I don't understand. I don't know. I don't have a solution. But I know that this is not the end. I know that this is not the end. And how would you describe, I mean, as a culture and in the church, you know, we're talking a lot about the feminine genius and the gifts that women bring. How would you describe that? And, and maybe, as an aside note, how the Western culture has gone off the rails in terms of our, <laughs> our view of women and stuff. But, uh, <laughs> That's a good question. Um, well, I think, I, I was saying earlier how, like, uh, I think that, what I learned through, through this mission is that 
the heart of a mother is like the safest place for all of us. And the heart of a mother means like this love that embraces everything. And, and I think that um, there's a lot of passivity in a certain sense, there's a lot of receptivity that is the women's genius, mm -hmm. I think. Uh, I think that sometimes we want to like do and change the world and it's good because like being a mother, we have to fight for our kids, mm -hmm. we have to, so we have that strength. Right. Uh, but there's also this passivity of receiving, of just mm -hmm. receiving the other suffering, receiving the other joy that is proper to a woman. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that many times we forget that. I've met so many women, I can close my eyes now and see so many faces um, of women who I think hold the world. And sometimes they're very old women who are in a nursing home, uh, on, on a bed of a nursing home, or women we visit in the housing projects and in all of our neighborhoods that have gone through so many crosses their whole lives, but they hold the world with their prayers, they hold with the world with their wisdom, uh, they hold the world uh, with hoping and praying and giving advice and, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And Brittany, you're from modern-day America. <laughs> Tennessee is not New York, but... Uh, <laughs> we'll count it. <laughs> was that a big leap to enter into this? I mean, I know, like, young women today, especially, are given a different message about what's important in life. How did you come to, to answer this call to be a volunteer? And, Ooh. Yeah, well, the seed was planted a long time ago, actually, when I went on my first foreign mission trip when I was 16 to Mexico. And in that, I just uh, saw a, a new reality and something in me. My world became bigger than myself because as a 16-year-old before that, it was very much me-focused. And when I saw that there was needs out there a lot bigger than me and a whole big wide world with other cultures and languages, and um, it really opened me up. And it, it, the Lord put a desire in my heart to one day be able to devote more of myself to specific mission work. Um, and that never left me. Um, but, you know, a lot of years passed and I changed and I grew and actually came into the Catholic Church in 2012. Mm. And I think that the Lord reawakened just a year after that this um, desire to go on mission, it became really strong, and also the availability to do so, because I was at a point in life where there was really no reason I couldn't go. And so I um, decided I wanted to respond to that call. And I think the Lord, the way I, I perceive it is that he waited until I was going to be strengthened by the sacraments before he sent me out mm -hmm. on mission, because, um, again, our, our prayer life on mission was... Uh, very intentional and a daily rhythm of prayer that really sustained us while we were on mission so that not only our own community's joys and struggles were taken before the Lord, but we were also able to like beg God, um, be intercessors for all the people in the neighborhood, for people who don't pray for themselves or, or don't know how to talk to God. And because we knew them and we knew what they were going through, we were able to come before him and um, first of all say thank you for them and give you know thanks and the, and the joys, but also carry their struggles before him and, and intercede for them. Um, so by name. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're, they become our friends, a, a true friendship of giving and receiving, not just us giving to them, but they taught us a lot too. Yeah. Um, 
So you went to college and then converted? Or? Yeah, yeah. Where did you study in college? I studied humanities, international studies, yeah. <laughs> specifically focusing in Latin America, and my minor was actually Spanish. So, um, And when I signed up for Hearts Home, you know, I, I was honestly hoping for one of the Spanish-speaking countries just because I was already enamored with the, the Latin culture, but I knew that I could be sent anywhere. Um, so it was like right out of college you... No, actually, I worked as an in-home family counselor for a while, and then briefly at a, a mortgage company in the Spanish department, okay. and uh, before, so it was, a, it was a few years after college before I went. And then what brought you into the Catholic Church? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, it's quite a journey, but ultimately the pursuit of truth um, of my Christian faith. I was... You know, growing up, there was different beliefs about baptism, for example. Uh, this one denomination said it's not necessary for salvation. Another denomination says it's absolutely necessary. Another one says it's necessary, but not until you're six years old. Another one, you know, and so I was like, well, surely the Lord, like Jesus meant something because he commanded us to go, therefore, and baptize all people in his name, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What did he mean? Because if it had bearings on salvation... I'm sure he would have let us know, right? So, so that's you, you grew up in a devout home. Of yeah, Baptist. yeah, yeah. I was oh. actually evangelical. Okay. Evangelical. So that's kind of the, all those questions were stirring, and I found the Catholic Church had answers to these just questions of my Christian faith that I wasn't quite sure. I was like, I've been hearing so many things, but like, what is actually true? Yeah. And um, once I found there was answers, I had to take the next step of, okay, well, you know, it doesn't matter if they have answers if it's all heresy, what is, how can I trust that these answers are really um, from the Lord? And from that, it was studying church history that really led me to, to say, if I'm going to be a Christian, it makes sense to be a Catholic Christian um, with the apostolic succession and Petrine primacy and all the the fullness of the Christian faith. Was there a friend that pointed you to the Catholic Church? Or? There was. There was actually. Um, so there, I had a next door neighbor who is who is Catholic, and um, that's really where the dialogue began. Um, he he became a good friend, and um, anyway, his family was very Catholic, and through just like. Uh, the journey that the Lord took me on, um, that one Catholic family yeah. was actually able to uh, explain the faith to me in a way that just kept my curiosity growing. And that same family had an influence on two of my really good friends, and both of them are, are now Catholic as well. So, you know, that just shows the power of testimony for one person or one family who really lives the faith, and they could explain their Catholic beliefs to me using Scripture. And as a Protestant, um, you know, before that was so important to me. If it's not in scripture, like I don't right. understand how you can believe it, right? So they were able to explain their faith and their traditions using scripture, and um, actually knew why they believed what they believed, and uh, that just drew all three of us in. So. <laughs> and what are you thankful for your even about your evangelical upbringing? Are there certain things that you? Oh, definitely. Um, I I think it really set me up to one, have that curiosity for the truth. You know, a lot of pastors told me, don't believe what I'm teaching you. Like, go and find it for yourself. Um, and then also the relationship, the personal relationship that I had with Christ was very much the focus And ever since I was a, a young child. So I'm also very grateful for knowing Scripture 
because I know that sometimes in, in Catholic world that's not um, priority <laughs> to, to study for a lot of people. And um, But growing up with uh, only having that as kind of our source of guidance and, and direction as sola scriptura, that's what I, I really dove into. If I wanted to encounter God and to know Him, that's where I went. And so um, now it kind of comes together with uh, the, Tradition, the traditions yeah, yeah. to make this beautiful complement in the, my Christian mm-hmm. faith come out, come alive. And uh, do you have uh, any thoughts about the spirituality of Hearts Home that touched you, as, uh, that, that spoke to you about Mary at the foot of the cross? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's such a, a beautiful charism and such a needed charism. Um, you know, it's, it's being beside a person saying, you're not alone in this. I'm here with you. And that alone makes the that cross the person's carrying a lot lighter. Right. Um, and it's also the simplicity of just kind of living the gospel and being this ministry of presence that at first my American value of, of being successful kind of combated with this Christian value of being faithful. You know, as we we know, Blessed Mother Teresa says that the Lord has called us to be faithful, not successful. And so this mission is really good at teaching us, like training yourself, like a school of love, of how to be faithful in the little things, because little things done with great love charm the heart of Christ, right? So... Um, whether it's washing our clothes by hand, if we don't do it with love, love for solidarity with our friends, like, it, it, why are we washing our clothes by hand, right? What, um, if we're making, you know, all this food by from scratch and there's no canned goods and, you know, and we're putting this extra amount of love into it, um, it just it just teaches us, it trains us to do everything with love and for love of God and love of others as opposed um, to this self-focus. So I think this mission really draws you out of yourself and helps see the needs of your community members, the needs of, of God, you know, like consoling his heart as he's often the one most abandoned. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so. <laughs> okay. Any... Uh... Before we wrap up, any last thoughts or comments? Or I like that theme of like being drawn up. And I, mm-hmm. there's a wonderful phrase to describe. John Paul II talked about Mary at the foot of the cross. That her her charity underwent this transformation. That the way I understand it is that because Jesus is dying for sinners, mm-hmm. Mary's there at the foot of the cross, and she becomes our mother. Mm-hmm. That her motherhood undercomes this becoming universal for all. Mm-hmm. That Jesus is doing this big act of love for everyone to suffer, die for redemption. Mm-hmm. That Mary is taken up into that, mm-hmm. that, that heart's opened up to all. Mm-hmm. That, uh, I think that's a wonderful way to see, you know, like the natural gift, the natural heart of a mother, and then, but then you add a, a transformation of Christianity, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it takes that, those yes. that gifts and, and expands it to mm-hmm. all in a special way. Kind of the scripted passage that comes to me now is like, uh, when um, once I am raised up, I will uh, attract everyone to right. me, and and I think that this is like what are, we are called to do, like to by uh, being present to those who suffer, like show the beauty of the cross, show that right. there's 
nothing is lost, right. that everything is embraced by him so that people would be, and we, we are so many times like witnesses of um, people's Holy Fridays and Holy Saturdays, there are so many in this world today, and, and how um, little by little through faithfulness, as she pointed out, to the faithfulness of a presence, they get drawn and attracted to Christ and they end up joining the church or coming back after many years asking for the sacraments. It sometimes takes years and I might not see uh, the, the, the effect of my presence but the next community will, will and I'm seeing the one from the previous community uh, and people are attracted to him and are attracted to him and that's what we all have to pray for that people come back to him. Okay, well thanks so much for talking to us about Heart's Home. It's, uh, Natalia and Brittany, thanks so much. Thank you, Father. Thank